Listener Production. Welcome back. You are listening to episode 193 of the Howie Games Part B, one of our September specials featuring Brownlow medalist Shane Crawford. Onwards. The coach, Alistair Clarkson, arrives at the footy club um, and you at this stage are a football star, you're a TV star, you're a media star, you're a Brownlow medalist. He is probably as a player the direct opposite of all those things. He was hard and tough and I presume you played against him um, and I presume he's one of those blokes that would whack you. Um, I don't know, but was that the case and what was it like when he came to the footy club? What was the relationship like? Yeah, it would have been a, 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 it, an opponent relationship, it, it, I guess. It was a tough time because um, I knew that I had a few years to go. I, I still felt physically uh, very capable but mentally did I really want it as – you know, did I really want to be around um, knowing that there was going to be a real grind for a few more years? You'd been hanging around for a long time and, um, and you know, you really do think about what do I need to do to get the best out of myself moving forward. But he, um, Alistair Clark, so I used to play on him all the time. Um, we, we used to punch on with each other. <laughs> and the next thing, he's now coaching the football club. And I remember going and having a meeting with him because I was a bit uncertain if I wanted to hang around. Hawthorne or football? Uh, Hawthorne. Yeah, I, I was thinking that I might might be time to move on. Um, I think it's best for everyone and I knew Hawthorne were going through a real rebuilding phase and I was coming towards the end. It's like, do I have another three years, four years? Are we ever going to make the finals? And that, they were really tough decisions because my love for Hawthorne um, was everlasting but it was being really, really tested because I just thought... Maybe, maybe, maybe it's time. Maybe it is time. So I met with Alistair Clarkson, um, and he told me he said, "I'm going to get rid of um, some of your mates, <laughs> meaning the older players." You know, he goes, "I need to bring in these young kids who we're going to draft, and I need to give them opportunities to play." So he said, "There's every chance we're probably not going to win a great deal because these young kids aren't ready, but they need to learn by playing on good players." and um, yeah, and he, he just said, but I'd love you to, to get involved and help and, and try and train and lead by example from that point of view. And I, I really, at the time, I didn't know what to do. I, I, I thought, do I stand up and flip the table and say, <laughs> nah, stick it up your backside, I'm out of here? Or, and I just I thought about it and thought about it and I, I, just, couldn't, I just couldn't leave. And, and my mum my always said, you know, don't, you know, when things get tough. You just hang in there and work through it. And that always stuck in the back of my mind. But um, I even remember as soon as Clarko took over, we went and did Kokoda, and that was Buddy Franklin's very first sort of introduction to the football club and Jordan Lewis and so much. So I can still remember Buddy. We'd get um, ration packs dropped every day um, and Buddy got his dropped but he ate it all at once when it was meant to last pretty much 24 hours. Come on, and I, I can remember Clarko coming over, do not help him, do not give him any of your food. He's got to learn that you've got to balance it out. But what we did, we actually we found a way to make sure Buddy was okay um, and uh, we fed him and got him through. But during Kokoda, I remember at the time, it was just a really emotional journey for me because obviously you're learning about the history of your country, but... It was also trying to reconnect with a footy club that I felt it was probably time to, to move on. So by the end of it, I remember getting up in front of the group and 
and just telling them how much I've been hurt um, by the club and where we've been and we need to change things. And I just remember breaking down and, and totally losing it in front of the group, which is which is not an easy thing to do. Right. And But my... It was at the time I just felt like I needed to get everything out just so we can go, okay, it's a clean slate, let's get on with it, away we go. So I don't know what Clarko was thinking at the time. He's thinking, what have I, what have I inherited here? Um, but it was, yeah, it was interesting times. Did you meet other clubs? Did you have serious considerations? Yeah, absolutely. Like the Swans, I, I thought I was going to head to the Swans um, and I had a chat with Collingwood as well. But I thought... I. Thought Sydney was probably the best place for me to get out of the, uh, the fishbowl yes. of Melbourne and and just go to a different city for a few years and and have that experience. But um, but as it all turned out, it uh, it all turned out quite beautifully in the end and um, pretty much a fairy tale, really, when you think about it. Although there's probably eighteen years of hard work in between that fairy tale, but um, yeah, it was. Unbelievably satisfying, and even to this day, if, if I wasn't a part of the two thousand eight grand final, I would be a bitter man. I really would. I, I'm happy to be honest about that because I just wanted team success. I craved it. I just wanted Buddy Franklin to start improving. I wanted Ruffy to really come through. I wanted Sam Mitchell to keep you know flying, and Hodgie to really develop into the leader that we needed, and Cyril in his first year just to keep exciting. Um, not only training, but also obviously in games. So uh, I was so desperate to uh, to have team success and it was at the absolute ultimate because when you think about it, going into the 2008 grand final and even to this day, people say, oh, Hawthorne got lucky and I'm saying bullshit because you have a look at our lead-up form, you know, our two finals against St Kilda and the Bulldogs. We had those... Games won pretty much by half time, which is very hard to do in finals, especially prelim finals. And then we were just ready. We were just ready to produce, you know, our very best. And hold that thought, Croft. I just will hold, hold that, that thought, thought but it's—I uh, just—I you know, can't help but reminisce because it's good times. We're going to get to it, and I can't wait to get to it. And I'm going to get to it in about three or four minutes. Just the first thing that pops into your head. Uh, Ten-word answer when you first met these guys, or they first did something your first impressions of them because they changed the football club, your first impression of Buddy Franklin? Well, to be honest, my first impression was about Kokoda because I remember <laughs> sitting next to him whilst we're eating some some food um, and we're all exhausted because um, we've been walking for, for hours and hours and he opened up his backpack and he pulled out a framed picture of his girlfriend and him just so he could remember. <laughs> no! <laughs> so that was, that was my first sort of instant memory of Buddy Franklin. Every time anyone asked me, oh, do you remember Buddy for the first time? Oh, yeah, I remember him pulling out a frame of his girlfriend because <laughs> he, he missed her and he really wanted to take her on the track. Oh, the big sweetheart. Your first, uh, uh, Luke Hodge, your first impression of Luke? Or oh, a laid-back country kid who needed a bit of work. Um, yeah, yeah, he needed a bit of paddle beating. So, um, right. but you know, what? I had I had a real soft spot for Luke Hodge because I felt there was my younger brother Justin who played at Hawthorne for a little while and he played at Sydney. Um, but Justin was just really laid back and you know life doesn't phase him too much. And I I felt that Luke Hodge had a lot of Justin in him. So um, I and he came in with a lot of pressure. And I hated it because 
you know, he, he, he could feel the pressure. And I'm like, just let the kid find his feet. And, and he had osteopubis at the time or he had a, some kind of injury. And, um, yeah, I, I felt like a father figure and I, I felt like I needed to to really protect him and look after him. And he, um, yeah, what, what an absolute joy to watch him develop into the player that he was. And was Sam Mitchell as driven at the start as he was at the end? <laughs> um Sam Mitchell, when everyone asked me who who's number one player I'd pick, and it would be Sam Mitchell. Um, Sam Mitchell was told he wasn't good enough. He was too small. He was too fat, too slow. Um, yeah, he just wasn't going to make it. And Sam Mitchell's one of the all-time greats. Have a look at his career. Full-time yeah. um, premiership winner, uh, best and fairest winner, Five times, is it? Something ridiculous. Yep. But Brownlow. If anyone wants to if anyone gets told they're not good enough, just go and talk to Sam Mitchell, because he was told many, many times. He had an unbelievable work ethic. When everyone would come off the track, there he would be with Robbie Campbell, the Ruckman, tapping it down his throat, doing that contested stuff. And he he was the engine. He had to get the game going. He had to do all the tough work. He had someone tag him all the time. He was still able to get the ball going. And, um, yeah, he was he was a real key ingredient to Hawthorne's success for a long, long time. And I I had um, had a year where he followed me around everywhere, um, just, just learning from a, a training point of view. And I, I just, when I look back, I just think, wow, you know, that just shows you, you know. And Hawthorne's had some great players who have been told it's probably not going to happen. Brad Sewell turned out to be a star, you know, an unbelievable team player. Sam Mitchell, he was just an absolute workhorse and and they're two amazing examples that if you can get uh, the most out of yourself and you can dedicate yourself and put everything into it, um, it's amazing what you can do and how far you can go and those two are, are great examples of that. I'll get you to the grand final very shortly. Indulge me one more. What, what were your thoughts when the little man from the Tiwi Islands mm-hmm. wandered down at the start of the 2008 season by the name of Cyril Rioli? Well, I remember a training session where he, we were playing two teams and I was on Cyril's team, which is thankfully, um, and he got the footy across half back and then he just weaved through everyone and kept going and virtually uh, kicked the ball inside 50. But it was, it was mind-blowing. And <laughs> I remember going up to Cyril straight <laughs> after that and going, mate, in games, you just do that, we'll block for you, okay? We'll knock everyone out on the road. Um, as soon as you've got it, we'll just make sure that you've got the space to do what you need to do. And he just looked at me and goes, yeah, yeah, that's what I do. <laughs> <laughs> but oh, what a joy. Oh, seriously, like h- how lucky was I Yeah. Um, to when I first started, I had Jason Dunstall training who, who trained so hard and never stopped practising his goal kicking and John Platten, um, you know, Chris Langford, Dermot Brereton. And then towards the end of my career, you, I I watched Sam Mitchell at his very best, Luke Hodge, Cyril Rioli, who made football training exciting and fun, and also Buddy Franklin, who, um, and, and yeah, please forgive me to all those other amazing players, but how amazing is to watch Buddy Franklin in full flight at training and Cyril Rioli zipping around doing what Cyril does. That, that's as, as good as you're ever going to see. So 2008 for you is the premiership that nearly didn't happen, Shane. There's so many rumours and stories and fact and fiction. 
what was your injury and what were they telling you? Um, well, I had severe tendonitis in my knees and I had a few little tears there. So it became sort of like a, a jumper's knee. So every time you try to do anything explosive, it's like someone's hitting you with a sledgehammer. And, um, and especially with the little tears in your knee, you're not allowed to kick. <laughs> so, um, wow. yeah, so for a, a long period, we just tried to manage that the best we possibly could. And to be honest, that was my undoing because as you get a bit older, what are they? What's the first thing they say? Oh, you're lacking a bit of speed. So I always was trying to do a few extra uh, plyometric stuff from a, a running point of view after training and bounds and jumps and so forth. So I pretty much stirred that and brought that on myself. Um, but I knew it got really serious when we went and saw a specialist sort of halfway through the year, and and she virtually put a, a line through me and said it's not good. Um, but it was probably Andrew Russell who. Um, is now the fitness coach at Carlton, but he was obviously at Hawthorne during all the uh, the amazing premierships, and he was incredible. He was the one that was never – he never stopped believing and trying to find a way um, to get me back out onto the field. And um, and I knew the side was going well, and I'm like, oh, I can't miss this opportunity. I've got, to, I've got to somehow find a way. And I was trying everything I possibly could. You know, I was having, um, you know, all sorts of different treatments – but the only one that really worked in the end and, you know, you, you try everything through the physios and the physios are amazing, but it wasn't until big Spider Burton, who used to play with yes. North Melbourne and then Fremantle, like the gigantic man that he was, he read that, you know, my knees were no good and, and I had severe tendonitis. And he, he actually said, oh, listen, you might think I'm a bit crazy, but I had something similar being a ruckman and, and trying to jump all the time. And not that I'm a ruckman, but um, and he said I bought these knee braces with magnets in them, and he said they're thirty dollars. <laughs> um, what? He said you might think I'm crazy, but it actually worked for me. It allowed me to play, and I said, mate, I, I'll give everything a go. What, whatever can possibly work, I, I'm all for. So I went and got them. Uh, he said, put them on when you're not training, but wear them around as much as you can when you sleep. And what was happening during the night, I'd wake up two o'clock in the morning and I'd feel my knees just pulsating. I could feel all the blood starting to flow, which is obviously blood's a great thing for healing. Wow. And so much so that before I knew it, I'm telling the, the club and the physios, I'm like, you're going to think I'm a bit crazy, but... I <laughs> I think I can get out there and train. So uh, we devised a bit of a plan where I could get out and train 10 minutes flat out. That's it, that, 10 minutes? 10 minutes out, kicking the footies, running around for 10 minutes flat out. The rest, I was in a pool on a bike or I'd walk from home, which was like 20 k's. And um, You'd walk and, to the club? There. I would walk to the club, yeah. But for my head, but also... Do you ever watch Farlap, that great yes. Australian yes. horse racing film? Well, when Farlap went overseas, he hurt his foot. <laughs> so, um, and you go on magnets, had, you go on Farlap. They had to prepare him for um, a race, and they only had a short uh, period to, to get the horse ready. So they said, I'll walk it. So I thought, well, I'll walk. Um, and I was able to walk, I was allowed to walk. I wasn't sort of overtraining from that. So, uh, Andrew Russell was fantastic. He said, let's try it. Um, 
it got towards finals time and Clarko looked me in the eye. Actually, to be honest, there was a game against West Coast Eagles um, in the lead-up and Clarko said, don't run so much tonight. Virtually saying, just get through, which is the first time a coach has ever told me that. It's just like, you know, like... If someone's there to pressure, you know, to tackle or whatever, and you got just back off a touch, just need you to get through the game. And I'm like, okay, so he's just trying to see whether or not I can cope with getting through a game. And then it wasn't until a couple of weeks before the finals we were playing Fremantle and he said, I'm going to put you in the middle and I need you to show me that you can go. So I knew, oh, this is my audition for the finals because he needs to have confidence. And there was no way I was going to play if I didn't think that I deserve to be in that top 22 and I contribute like the, the 22nd player. And But I remember in that match, I rolled my ankle in the first five minutes, pretty severe. And normally I would have said, listen, I'll just shut it down, get it ready for the finals. But I knew that I was under the microscope and the, the little angry man was watching. So we strapped that back out and I got out and I got through the game. But so much so that I probably injured a bit too much and I didn't play the next week when Buddy kicked 100 against Carlton. But then I knew that gave me an extra week just to to get myself ready for the finals and ready to go. And Clarko, the, the problem is I, I couldn't kick a long way. So um, I told Clarko I was okay, but I told some of my teammates at the time, especially the on-brawlers, when I get it, I'll handball to you, you know. So I, I was bringing them into the game, <laughs> that's what I was telling them. But I just wasn't able to kick 50 metres when I had to kick 50 metres because I'd feel a tear or I'd feel a, a big jolt in my knee, which which is what I knew. It's, uh, you know, cross your fingers and, and hope we can get there. So even, you know, obviously making the grand final and getting there, um, I was never sure that I was actually going to be able to physically get there. So you do get there and you've played 304 games of footy You've had a lot of losses along the way. You thought about going elsewhere. It gets to grand final day. Hawthorne versus Geelong. Geelong are overwhelming favourites after the season they had, although you said earlier on after smacking St Kilda and Footscray, the Western Bulldogs, you were going in with plenty of confidence. What are your memories of that final game of footy you played? I remember the grand final parade um, where we just said, just enjoy it, just just take it all in. This is like our little Olympics, you know, where you hear the Australian athletes when they go to the Olympics, they talk about oh, how amazing it is marching for your country and how it spurs them on. And that's the way that we treated it. You know, this this is this is our Olympics. Wave to everyone, you know, even the Geelong supporters. And there was Geelong supporters sticking their fingers up at us. We're just waving <laughs> to them. So much so that if you look in the paper the next day or the, the day of the grand final, there's Chance Bateman and and all the Hawthorne players waving and smiling and interacting with the crowd, but all the Geelong players, if you look, it looked looked like they had the weight of the world on their shoulders. So they were under pressure. It was like they didn't want to be there or be a part of it. Hmm. So we really took a, a great deal out of it. It's just let's go, and we just knew, we we just knew that if we don't play for each other, and and put the team first in everything we do and every decision, we got no chance. If we do. We're a chance and we wanted it to be hot because we felt we had good running power. Um, it was hot and everything just sort of 
worked out perfectly because we just felt that we were a really fit side and an up-and-coming side and there's no pressure on us, let's just go for it. And, um, yeah, when I look back now, when I look back now, it was a remarkable win because Trent Crowd goes out of the game. Um, so your star full back. Yes, he's limping. Not his hamstring, no, his is. foot. He's in massive trouble here. Back, 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 back. Oh, just the way it went, it looked like something had shot him and he's, he's as proppy as proppy. Well, they're a man down at the moment. So I remember getting a message to me going, oh, you're going to have to pace yourself because we can't rotate anymore, which is not what you really want to hear, you know, halfway through a grand final. It was like, what? Okay, so then we had to be really uh, calm in, in our decision-making and the way that we ran and the way that we attacked. Um, obviously, there was a few moves, Stewie Jew. Um, moved himself to half forward. Um, but where all the, the genius in the coaching was with Alistair Clarkson and the coaching group was all year they they got everyone not only to totally understand their role but totally understand everyone else's role and then on the back of that have the ability to change roles. So he was okay with that as long as you did everything that you had to do for that role. So mm-hmm. that was the genius in the coaching in uh, allowing Stuart Jew to move himself to half forward because he had confidence that all year we'd been preparing for for stuff like that and it obviously came through. And not only that, Buddy Franklin kicked 100 goals that year and Alistair Clarkson said to Buddy Franklin uh, before the grand final, probably not going to be your day today. (laughs) You're probably not going to kick the big bag that you want, but you can help us win the grand final by pushing up the field, creating two-on-ones, dragging... Your, your uh, opponent, Matty Scarlett, but also Tom Harley, dragging the defenders out and allowing space for Silvio Rioli, for Ruffhead, Mark Williams, those type of players. So um, that was – and when you got a player who's kicked 100 goals mm. and he was a big game player and loves the big stage, but for him to do that for the team and knowing that, you know what, probably not going to be my day – um, just shows you what a, an amazing team effort it was. And, um, you know, I still credit the great buds to, to having a huge influence on the game, even though a lot of the, the so-called judges would say, oh, he had, a, he had an okay game. But to me, he had a bloody awesome game. So at what stage of the game can you pick a moment when you've thought, wow, this is actually, you mentioned the fairy tale is about to come true? Yeah, when Rick Ladson was having a shot for goal, Towards the end, Tom Harley gave away a 50 metre and I actually said to Rick, he was probably about 40 out, 35 out and um, on a bit of an angle, but he was a beautiful kick. He was always a beautiful kick. I just said, mate, you kick this, we'll win the grand final. And he just looked at me. Well, there's no guarantees in AFL footy. This would completely seal it. It's looking good. It's their day. And he did. He slotted it straight through. And he, I, he gets down on one knee and he starts pumping. And that's when I knew, Hugh, little bloody ripper, the Hawks have, have won the grand final. This is this is a fairy tale come true. It really was. And um, What did it mean to you? What did it oh, mean to you, Shane? You've told us your story yeah, to this point. It, it was everything because all you want to do um, as a professional footballer, you want to, you want to have team success. And... You know, for 16, 17 years, I'd never played in a grand final. I'd never, you know, never got close. Well, I had one year where we had reasonably close. But 
to actually finally make a grand final, but you don't want to make a grand final. You want to win the bloody thing. You, you actually don't want to just participate. No way. We want to win this thing. We want to make history. And, um, you know, from a young kid in Finlay who used to barrack for the Mighty Tigers and and watch all the grand finals, which Hawthorne were always in, uh, to finally being a part of a grand final and winning, that that was the absolute ultimate. And And for me, celebrating with your teammates, it's all pretty much a blur anyway, but... Being able to connect with the supporters as you, you do a lap of honour and just to see grown men and women and kids, grandfathers, grandmothers, just crying and letting everything out, that that's such a, a special thing. So for me, my last game, and that was probably one of the reasons I said, right, okay, that's it, I've got to finish, is whenever I think about the Hawks, and whenever I go and watch the Mighty Hawks at the MCG, every time I walk in there, I think about my last game, which was <laughs> grand final, underdogs, um, you know, we get up and win. So that was my last game and it just brings a huge smile to my face every time uh, I head in that direction. And not only that, I, I, I'm just so grateful that I had the opportunity to go to a, a great club, a club that went on such a huge journey whilst I was there, but I got to be there when it was at its absolute best. And if I had any regrets, it's probably some of the players that I played with didn't get to experience how amazing the football club was towards the end when I left. It was so well run on field, off field, everything we did and and just the team focus from a, a game uh, style point of view was just as good as it can ever get. So, um, yeah, it was amazing memories. Love the Mighty Hawks. And, um, yeah, we hope they can keep winning. <laughs> Back to Crawford in a tick. Now, one of Shane's premiership teammates from 2008, Cyril Rioli, featured on the pod way back on episode 56. Cyril, my favourite footballer of all time, full stop. It was such an unreal feeling, you know, to fact that not to... Like I said, not to that I'm worried about that hype, but you know, to actually win one, like it was pretty special. You know, to I mean, look at Hodges one too and stuff, and <laughs> you know things like that. It's and to be presented, you know, with the medal by you know the NT legend, one of you know one of the great players, Andrew McLeod. That was that was unreal. The winner of the Norm Smith Medal is Surioli from Hawthorne. That is Surioli on episode 56 of the show. Let's get back to Croft. That statement that you made as you got your medal, that's what I'm talking about. Number nine, Shane Crawford. That's what I'm talking about! Was that spur of the moment? Was that something you thought about? Did that have significance? Well, I can assure you I wasn't thinking we're just going to turn up and win a grand final and what am I going to say? We're playing Geelong. Geelong, seriously, one of the great teams of all time. Um, yes. No, but it, it, it just happened. It was it was just natural. I was just so full of emotion um, at the time and I'd get up there and i embrace with a little kid, um, give him a hat, get my medal. How good's that? I got a premiership medal and, and Craig Willis who... I've had a good friendship with and played Gaelic rules overseas and he's been on the tour. He was just looking at me with a big smile and sort of gave me a bit of, I wasn't sure if he was telling me to say something on the mic, but anyway, I just I just yelled out, that's what I'm talking about. And <laughs> and that all came from a friend of mine who used to say it all the time and I used to think, you're crazy, what are you saying that for? <laughs> but that's, that's what came out. And um, 
Yeah, so you could imagine for the next couple of years, uh, everywhere you went, that's what I'm talking about. Like, who, who was that? And they're jumping out of laneways and all over the place as you go down the street. But do you know what? What a great memory. So every yeah. time someone says that, even supporters, even after losses, that's what I'm talking about, you know. So, uh, yeah, what what an amazing day to be a part of an AFL grand final and, and to win the ultimate. Shane, I'm lucky enough in this job to get to speak to all sorts of people and you would have people come up to you and say, oh, I was here when you played your 100th game or I was there when you won the Brownlow or I was here when you won the grand final. If you indulge me for a moment, the 2008 grand final, after it and the Hawks had their function and I'd been at the game, lucky not to be working, with my girlfriend at the time who's now my wife, what was the nightclub owned by the Russian brothers that you went to under the, what was it called there? And then Juddy had a part of it under the freeway there opposite yeah, the Maccas. Yeah, 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 next to um, the car wash. Yes, and next to the car wash. Yeah, I don't even know the name of it. but um, Okay, so, so that's where I ended up for a couple of beers as a Hawthorne supporter and all of a sudden the Hawks rolled in. And I have three distinct memories from that, Shane, if I can if you'll indulge me. One is when Buddy walked in, it was like the Beatles. I was yeah. like nothing I'd ever seen. <laughs> the, the second was I was having a chat with Cyril who I'd done a rising star story, so I'd gone up to the Northern Territory with that year um, and got to know him and, and his mum and his dad and, and Michael Long, his uncle, and he said, oh, there's talk we're going to Macau for the end-of-season trip but I don't have a passport and I don't know where to get one. <laughs> My third memory was seeing was seeing you and you coming up and me just wanted to be in the background, but I'll never forget it, Shane, you came up and, and said day and asked me how my day was. And I thought that is an incredible thing for a man in your position to come up and ask me how I was going. And I've never forgot that, Shane, that you took the time to come up and ask me how my day was on what was the greatest day of your sporting life. And it still sits me with me now. Well, I, I can remember, uh, obviously, um, there was some some great Hawthorne people floating around. I remember Danny O'Brien, the horse trainer, he yes. was there as well. And uh, it was the, – the problem was it, it all went so quick. And, and the problem was I wasn't – I didn't rehydrate very well, um, not with not with uh, the water that you should. So the next day was – I had the, the very worst hangover that you could ever have. So if I could change anything, I probably wouldn't have um, got carried away so much and I would have just tried to take in just the natural mm. feeling, that the natural high we're all having. But, um, I, yeah, and that's what it's about. Like, as players, you, you just want to come together and and just celebrate the good times because you go through pre-season, you go through life, you become a part of everyone's family and you just want to you celebrate. You just want to celebrate with your, your teammates and, and family and friends and because that's that's what it's all about, you know. And and moments like that, it's an it's an absolute high for everyone because everyone is so proud. Everyone's got a connection, and you know, for me, it was seventeen years of you know trying and trying to be a part of you know a team that was good enough to to win the ultimate. And when it finally happens, um, it really doesn't get any better. And as I said earlier, I would have been furious to this day that I. Hmm. Never been a part of a grand final and, and win a grand final um, because that's just the way that I, I function. I just need to I need to have that in my life and I'm so glad that I hung around and I got to experience that. As am I. Uh, you've been great with your time. Um, I'm sure if I asked you, your greatest achievement would be to do with your family. Um, for, for football supporters, they'd probably say it was um, your football career, but for me, your greatest achievement is what you did with the Breast Cancer Network 
when you did those incredible drives on the footy show where you walked from Rundle Mall to Melbourne um, and raised, I think it was half a million for the Pink Ladies. And then a few years later, you did the tour to Croft where you rode Melbourne to Perth and raised like $1.4 million. When you arrived back at the footy show at Channel 9 after walking from Adelaide. 780 kilometres down the track. He's, he's into a trot, Jim. We, we don't like to give him too much credit, but on this occasion we can't speak highly enough of him. It has been a remarkable performance. Um, yeah, it was the... Sorry. Shane, I never saw, thought I'd say this about you, and from those people down there, I've never been more proud of a friend ever in my life, mate. It's a fantastic thing that you've done and uh, we just can't commend you highly enough, mate. Mm. I've never seen real TV with that emotion. Like that, that was, you were so emotional about the experiences you had and the stories that people had shared to you along the way. It still sits with me now when I think about it. I'm sure it sits in your heart. You raised money, but you connected with so many people that had fought breast cancer, lost people to breast cancer, got through breast cancer. Like As I'm talking about this, I can see you're reflecting on it now. There's something really special you did, Shane, something really special you did. Yeah, obviously very proud um, to have done that, but it did require a team effort. I, I never forget, yes. forget about that. It required, you know... Um, a lot of contributors uh, right across. But, um, like, the idea um, came to me from watching the ultramarathon races with Janos Kuros, the Greek god, and also Cliffy yes. Young, the potato yes. farmer from Colac who'd shuffle along in his gumboots. And they used that, to do... That was, on my, that was on my route to school. So we would was go it? from Taralgon to Sale yeah. and we'd go past <laughs> on a Monday and Janos Kuros would be going, we'd go, 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 go. Three days later, the bloke in second <laughs> would be on the road. That's how far he was in front of Janos at that stage. Yeah, yeah. And that's like as a kid growing up watching TV and someone who loved sport and, and loved, you know, testing themselves. So that for me is like... Oh, I, I want to do that one day. I want to race in that race. Um, so obviously being out of footy for a couple of years, I had an idea that I, you know, I, I'll run from Adelaide to Melbourne. I'll walk, run, shuffle, whatever. Um, and obviously link in with BCNA and let's try and raise some money. But it, initially I said to uh, to the footy show and everyone involved, Channel Lion, I said, I'm not going to do this and I'm not going to break myself unless we raise some money. So, you know, that was my whole focus initially. But what happened the first couple of days, it was, yep, and they they, go, they said, yes, we're going to really get behind this and we'll really make some good money and help, um, you know, Breast Cancer Network Australia. But a couple of days in, it took a completely different journey because <clears throat> it, it wasn't about the money. It was about creating a bit of hope and, and showing people that, we actually care and we're there for them. And, yeah, I would. I'd have um, I'd have families meet me on the side of the road in the middle of nowhere. Um, I tried to average around 60 to 80 k's a day, um, but I was also cautious that if I pushed too hard, I wouldn't make it because uh, I, I didn't really know how to run that far each day. Um, but what would happen when I'd meet these families on the side of the road and, and some of them would be women battling for their lives, you put on a brave face and they'd say, thank you for doing this, we really appreciate that. And they used to just blow me away. So as soon as I'd leave them, I'd take off. I would just break down. So I was prepared physically and I was prepared mentally to get to the end. But emotionally, 
I, I it knocked me for six, and you know, really, really, um, really, sort of took me on a journey, especially at the end as well for the next. You know, six months was something I had to really oh focus on because it's like oh I need to get myself together, you know, and and carry on. Mm-hmm. But then obviously a couple of years later, we I decided the footy show we're going to do a show in Perth, and I said I'm ready, I'm ready to go. I'll ride and I'll meet you there. Um, which everyone said, don't do that. You don't go that way. You got to come from Perth to Melbourne. And I said, listen, the weather reporters always get it wrong. We'll be okay. <laughs> um, but I think the the thing with both those. Because I was always prepared and Hawthorne was so important in all of that because they'd actually prepared me for anything in life. They, I knew that if I didn't prepare for things properly and like a professional, I've got no chance of going anywhere or achieving anything. So, um, yeah, so we set out on the ride. I tried to average about 170 to 180 k's a day, um, depending on the wind and what was going on. But the, the whole thing about those... Um, Charity rides was and run were connecting with the communities. Like we were raising virtually half the money, you know, like on the ride we made one point four million. Virtually six, seven hundred thousand dollars of that was from little communities and little country towns as we went through and and stopped. You know, they'd be raffling off sheep and goats and people and all sorts of things. Um and that's what blew me away and made me realise how amazing Australia is and how amazing people are because they'll get behind you, you know, no matter what the cause is. They uh, they love someone getting out there and having a go and, and yeah, I was very proud that I was able to achieve both those things. Um, yeah, it, it, but in hindsight, it's it's dangerous too. You're on the, on the highways and um, you've got to be very careful, but... Um, having a really good team and being prepared certainly made me ready for anything, but um, they were very long days and, um, yeah, I've put my feet up for a while. But do you know what? One day I'd like to do maybe one more thing, and um, but I'm not sure when that's going to be or, or what that'll be, but maybe I can go from the top to the bottom all the way up to Cyril, see if he's okay and whether or not he wants to make a comeback. <laughs> ask him. Ask him for every Hawthorne supporter Just out there. Just drag him back. Yeah. Um, I have two more questions for you. We talked about um, what you were hoping to do from a production point of view, but we also started this by saying you're an incredibly driven man. So, so what? What's next for you, Shane? What's next? Um, well, I, th- I just, I suppose the next couple of years, especially with um, my older boys, you know, just in a pretty important stage in their life, I just want to make sure that. You know, I'm heavily um, connected to them and making sure that, um, you know, they're, they're getting the best out of themselves and heading in the right direction. But um, we'll just wait and see. But I can assure you I won't be sitting still. I'll be on the go doing something. What separates uh, – you, did you have two young blokes and then twins? Was that the order or not? Yes, yeah. Well, so, so you had at one stage four under five years there, you and Olivia. Yeah, so, yeah, it was a yeah, busy time. Um, How was that? How was that time? It's probably harder now, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> like the, the twins really test us. Like they, right. um, yeah, they're, um, especially with the homeschooling and stuff that everyone's had to go through, um, they yep. don't like sitting still. <laughs> um, the older boys are very good, um, pretty focused, whereas the uh, the twins have got each other. <laughs> so... 
So I could lock them in a room and they'd be happy with each other. But, um, yeah, so they're, they're a bit of a handful. But I'll tell you what, if they ever eventually – they don't like footy at the moment, they're twins. The older boys love it. But I'll tell you what, if they ever start playing – They've got a bit of go at them, so they're going to uh, be tough over the football Campbell-Brown style um, right. and they'll stick up for each other. So I'm sure they'll put on a pretty good spectacle. Imagine Campbell-Brown with a twin. Oh, Heavens above. Oh, no. God help us. <laughs> Talking about kids, the last question I have for you, Shane, and um, you've been a treat for me, we no doubt will have a lot of kids listen to this. You've succeeded in various areas of life, from raising money to being a footballer to being uh, a television personality to be now a television producer and director. For someone that's younger that's trying to achieve something with their life, what advice would you give them? And you, being the passionate man you are, could take an hour to answer this, but we don't have an hour. Oh, no, no, no. Just go for it. Just absolutely go for it. Um, charge your head. Just have that belief in yourself. Um you know, it's really important to have good people around you that can that give you some bits of gold to keep you on track and, and help you add to your experience. But hard work, persistence and belief, you know, and and that's the thing. And I've seen it. I, I mentioned with Brad Sewell and I mentioned with Sam Mitchell, those guys worked their butts off and were told it's probably not going to happen. And guess what? They turned into be premiership heroes for the Mighty Hawks. So just go for it. Um, don't hold back. Make sure you're passionate about it. Make sure you want to jump out of bed and you got to make things happen um, because life will pass you by if you just sit there and wait for things to happen. You've got to get out and do it and I can assure you, you'll be very satisfied and very proud and not only that, you'll make everyone around you very proud as well. Spot on. Have you ever heard the expression hope punk? No. It is an expression my wife uses when she's trying to act 25 because <laughs> it's what the cool kids are saying. Right. It, hope punk is basically um, a positive attitude and providing hope for people. Um, I reckon people listening to this will get some hope punk because you're an enormously positive man, Shane. So, um, yeah, it's been great for me to chat with you, but you've just given me a lift in the day today and I'll go out there with a smile on my face and I'm sure everyone else will that's listening. So I really, really appreciate it. No, awesome chatting. Thank you for having me. And, hey, you keep up the good work because I know you're bringing so many stories to life um, and you're adding so much colour to everyone's life and day, which is really, really important. And you know what? We all have our downs. Um, it's just the way that you can fight through and life is very much a journey and it's not smooth sailing for a lot of people. And I'm certainly in that boat at times as well. So uh, head up, keep charging forward and thanks for having a chat. Shane Crawford, a doer. The man is a doer. He will have a crack at anything. Not concerned about public reaction, how it's going to be received, just goes out and has a go. Apologies to Shane for losing his file. Hopefully, though, the episode was worth the wait. Hope your day is full of joy. Until next time, with Daniel Laidley, peace and love. And we can do it if we try, try, try. If we try, try, try. If we try, try, try